Fear stops us from achieving our true greatness. Are you a professional woman who is feeling stuck, unmotivated, or burned out? Are you worried about your wellness? Are you letting fear stop you from crushing your goals? If you answered yes to any or all of these, then this is the podcast for you. Dr. Charmaine Gregory, night shift emergency physician, burnout thriver, and wellness champion, along with everyday heroes just like you, will explore how to face fear in our lives and emerge victoriously. Hello, Fearless Freedom family. Dr. G with you for another week. And I have the lovely and absolutely amazing Anissa Hudak here. And she has a phenomenal story to share with you guys. And I know we're going to be exploring some amazing things. So Anissa, do you want to tell the Fearless Freedom Tribe who you are and what you're up to? Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for having me on today. I'm so excited to chat with you. And uh, who am I and what do I do? That's a, that's a big question. <laughs> so I am a yoga therapist and I work with folks who specifically have PTSD or trauma related issues. And um, I'm originally from the New York, New Jersey area, but I live in Manhattan, Kansas now. Oh, that's uh, funny. Yeah, it is. I left the big apple for the little apple. Oh my gosh. <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time I've heard that. Uh, so I live here uh, in K-State land, Kansas State University. Uh, and actually, I, I live in a town where the, the livestock outnumber the people. That being said, I also live right outside of Fort Riley, Kansas, which is uh, Army military base. My husband was active duty and we were stationed here. And so I started taking teacher training classes to become a yoga teacher because I didn't want to be on anybody else's schedule and I just wanted to be able to do it on my own, but safely. And um, I started taking these classes. I kind of got the bug and I decided to take a class for warriors and it was based on PTSD for uh, veterans, military folk. And I was like, gosh, you know, we live right outside of the post. Right. It, it makes sense. And I got about halfway through the first day and I realized that the person I needed to really start working on was myself before I could really help others. I realized that my own PTSD had crawled into the nooks and crannies of my life, was holding me back. I wasn't living the kind of life I wanted to live. And so I really needed to work on me before I could then help others. And so that was kind of my journey, the start of my journey. I am a two-time rape survivor. I am a bereaved parent. I've lost a child. Oh. I, you know, was, I, my husband, my, my father was a Vietnam vet. My husband is a Iraq, Afghanistan vet. And so I know PTSD and trauma intimately. Yes. I've known it all my life. Wow. And so I guess you do what you know. And um, that's me in a nutshell. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. So, you know, there's so many things there. So what, you know, so you have to have a unique experience. So you had the experience uh, in childhood of seeing, living with someone who is experiencing the PTSD. Uh, and so you experienced that firsthand. What was that like as a child of a veteran who was going through that? Well, we didn't know. Okay. We had no idea. Um, we were never allowed to say the word Vietnam. That was like a dirty word in our house. I mean, we would okay. get in trouble. We were okay. never allowed to say that word. We were never allowed to ask questions. We were never allowed to talk about it. It did not exist. My father was an alcoholic. We had no idea that it, he was an alcoholic because he was trying to self-medicate from the PTSD. Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, 
and that's not to say that my, my childhood was horrible and, you know, scary and what have you. I mean, there were good times, but there was always this undercurrent. And now that I'm older and I'm a clinician, I can understand and it just, it blows my mind. In the last three to five years, he's been actually able to get with the VA and get the help that he needs. Oh, thank goodness. And really drop some of these burdens and some of this baggage that he's been carrying. Um, he is sober. He's been sober for 20, almost 22 years. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, totally. It's great. Um, but getting him with a therapist and getting to him to really, you know, unpackage this baggage and let it, you know, leave it alone, let it go. It's been amazing. And he's been able to sit and talk with me and tell me what happened. Wow. And I was just blown away. I couldn't believe that that was what he had been carrying. Mm. And just the toll it takes on, on folks. It's, it's just, it's amazing how much human beings we can carry and persevere. Absolutely. I mean, talk about fear. I mean, I, I can't, I mean, I cannot imagine just, and of course my experience with this is all from, you know, what you see on television or maybe what you've heard people say. Like if I've talked to, you know, I've had patients who at the VA hospital, like I've had patients there who have basically shared their stories. And it is crazy to think that, you know, you can be in a situation where bombs are going off around you. You know, you're like, your life is like at the precipice at a moment to moment, uh, kind of time frame, And then you are after you, you know, and, and then you're also like trained to kill other humans, right? This is not something that we typically want to do because that's not in our nature. And so we're trained to kill other humans. And then we are brought back after all the fighting is done. We're brought back into society and expected to function as if we were not just in a war zone. I find that so fascinating, you know, and I cannot imagine what kind of fear must be going on, like in within, you know, within individuals who have experienced that, because every time you hear a firecracker, you might be thinking that that is you know, a bomb or a gunshot or something, a lot, some kind of incendiary, you know, firing off instead of a firecracker. You know, I just, I just can't imagine that. So did he ever speak to you about his fear surrounding coming back to like, quote unquote, normal life? We didn't really discuss that other than the fact that he knew he wasn't welcomed back because none of them were welcomed back at that right, point. Right. And I mean, it's taken him all of this time to finally go in and get the benefits that were due and owing to him. Mm -hmm. um, so we haven't really talked about that. We talked about the fear he faced in those moments when he was there and he had to do the things that he was forced to do. But he didn't talk about coming back to society. Um, I got to kind of see that firsthand with my husband, though. Okay. So that was really fascinating to see. And, and can you share a little bit more about what happened with your husband? I generally don't share a lot about what happened to him because that's kind of his story. But I, sure. what I can tell you from my standpoint, yes. here is someone who comes from being in a situation where you are on guard 24-7. And all of a sudden, it's like you hit a wall. There is... There's no reason to be on guard here. Right. And you have to let that down. And how do you do that? And the guilt, the guilt, I'm home and, my, and there's still guys there. I need to be back there with my guys. I see. Um, so there was a lot of guilt. Mm -hmm. um, there was some fear as far as uh, reestablishing himself here in the household um, and in society. I remember we were driving and he drove around a pothole and I was like, dude, what you doing? Like <laughs> it's a pothole, you know? And he said, well, where I've been in the last year, we didn't drive over those cause those were IUDs and you right. know, right. Wow. Uh, you know, and it just cut, kind of, oh, oh, he doesn't have a problem with fireworks. Okay. Um, but 
we once had a, a car backfire in our neighborhood. Yeah. And he lost it. Um, every first Monday of the month, they do ty- uh, tornado sirens here. Oh, goodness gracious. And he didn't know about it. And the first time it went off, he, he lost it. I can't imagine that for sure. Yeah. You know, and I'm looking at him like, dude, they're, they're tornado sirens. You know, like it, it didn't even occur to me. And, he, you know, he was panicked. He was in a, a full-fledged panic. Of course. Man. Yeah. And, and I'm looking at him like, dude. You know? And then once I realized what was happening, you know, I had to kind of talk him down. And um, the only thing that really we have to be very careful of is if we're in a car and mm-hmm. we're driving, we can't lower the windows down. We have to tell him we're going to lower the windows down. And especially if it's in the, he's in the front seat and, and we're yeah. going to lower the ones in the back seat. He, he does not deal well with that because he's afraid that somebody's going to reach in and grab him and pull him out of the car. I see. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I would, I was just in my mind, I'm like, well, why would the windows be down be a problem, but got it. Okay. Okay. Wow. Wow. Things you don't even think about. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And these are things that for us are commonplace, right? For us, they are mundane things. They're not like, you know, but, but for him and for others who are in his you know, who are in his field, you know, that's huge. Wow. And everyone is so individual. You know, um, our, our, our fingerprints are, are individual. Our PTSD is individual as yeah. well. And nobody has the same thing. Um, you know, one of the other things is that he doesn't have a lot of spontaneity. Okay. He so, likes everything planned. Everything has to be planned. We do not deviate from the plan. Okay. And I, you know, there was a time when I actually had to like make an appointment with him 24 to 48 hours ahead of time. Hey, can you go with me to whatever store? Okay. Okay. He's getting better. He is getting better. And, you know, he's, he's backing off of that a bit, but um, still, if we have a series of places we go, we are only going to those places. We go to them in that order. We do not deviate. Got it. Wow, this is great insight. Because, you know, like, if you think about it, like, um, you know, most of us, I mean, I have family that's in the military. Like, I have a um, cousin who's married to a, a military career um, person. But, you know, like, I don't have, or most people don't have direct contact with military personnel and so they don't understand this you know and i know like for example when i was in residency um and i was at at duke university one of my attendings um basically ended up going to iraq actually once while i was in residency and then he went again shortly afterwards he did multiple tours And, uh, I, I never knew that that would be, you know, these are some of the things that maybe he experienced. I mean, I don't know, but I mean, it's just like, you know, these are like really kind of simple things that we kind of take for granted, but for them, it is such, you know, it could be such a, uh, uh, impactful thing. Like, you know, like they respond viscerally to it. You know, it sounds like from what you said, it sounds like he like was, he shut down and he was just like, okay, you know, I'm on guard now. Like I need to be doing, you know, X or Y or Z. Yeah. So, wow. It was really interesting. And, and again, you know, it's so individual that, you know, these were the things that affected him. It may not be for anybody else or everybody else. Um, these were just kind of his things. And um, I've just learned you know, if that's the worst thing that we deal with, is that really that bad? I mean, I can, I can make those concessions. That's easy. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, he was in for 23 and a half years. He is retired now. Okay. Uh, he is a high school chemistry teacher. So now he just blows things up on smaller scale. Oh, nice. Scale. Yeah. Yeah. Just blow something <laughs> else up. Yeah. Just, just science is so cool. You can just blow it up. <laughs> So, and he loves it and he's, you know, he's very highly functioning and it's not a problem. Right. Um, You know, but it's, it is interesting the way things have changed. Right. Right. And then did he end up doing more than one tour or just the one? He did three. three. Wow. He did three in a matter of five years. Wow. 
three See, that's, that's, the, that's the thing right there. You know? Yeah. Wow. Okay. And you know, so no, I am so glad that the ending for the story is a very pleasant one that he has, you know, he has found his place. He, he's thriving because that's not always the story. That's not always the end of the story. No, uh, he, um, he, you know, he had a crash and burn and that was really hard to watch. Um, it's kind of like an alcoholic when they hit bottom and I, I had to sit by and just let it happen. Um, thankfully he did not take his life. Thank God. Uh, but that, that was, uh, a, that, that was a, a concern. Gotcha. Absolutely. Um, he is in therapy still. He has done EMDR, which I've actually gotten to sit there while he's doing it and watch really? it happen. Yes. Oh, wow. And, you know, they, they made me swear that I would be as quiet as a church mouse. And I yeah. was, yeah. but I got to actually sit there in the room with him and watch it happen and then watch him over the next two weeks and watch it continue to percolate in his brain and what have you. Really fascinating stuff from a, a clinician side. Right. And right. I'm glad that I had that background because, um, I don't know if spouses are given enough information to really understand what their ha- their husbands are, you know, going through or what have you, um, or wives. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really grateful that I had the education behind me that I could see, you know, what was happening and I understood it and it has been wonderful for him. Wow. The EMDR really worked. Okay. And then just for those of us who don't know what the acronym stands for, do you mind educating us? Oh, or do I... you, do you remember? Cause I know like for <laughs> me, there's certain, there's certain acronyms that I use all the time. And I'm like, Oh, whatever. Yeah. GERD or like, you know, yeah. EGD. And I'm like, Oh yeah. What does that mean again? Oh yeah. That's what that means. Movement <laughs> EM desensitive dissociation, desensitization response or something i movement blah 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 (laughs) okay but it's 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 like a it's isn't it because i guess maybe like a brief description of what it is is it like a is it hypnosis is it it is it um like an introspection exercise like what what is it exactly um you know every practitioner does it their own way gotcha and so um in watching my husband having it done uh his therapist sat in front of him and actually used his finger in front of his eyes. I see. And by okay. doing this, um, it, it actually helps the brain to um, reveal I, you know, memories that okay. it d- doesn't do normally. Okay. True memories. Gotcha. It helps to um, peel back the onion, if you will. Okay. Okay. And That's so, helpful because I didn't know what it was. <laughs> That's what I asked. <laughs> I have, I've had it done myself and my clinician, um, he, my therapist gave me these two things to hold in my hand mm-hmm. and they would buzz back and forth. And that was what got me. So it wasn't my eyes. It was this buzzing things in my hands. Okay. So each clinician doesn't do it. They do it their own way. They do it a little differently. Um, there's no right or wrong way. And I think that, you, you know, if you're going to go and have EMDR done, which is amazing, find what works for you. If you go to one therapist and they do it one way and it doesn't really work for you, find another therapist who does it and try it again. Keep trying it because they all do it slightly differently and you just need to figure out which one fits for you. Gotcha. But me, myself, I've had it done Mm -hmm. and it was really an amazing experience. Wow. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Because like I said, you know, like, uh, you know, just like everything else, when you're in a field, you're intimately related to the field. You completely understand the field. You know, for me, like, I think things, there are a lot of things that I feel are like, ah, oh, doesn't everybody know that? Because it's what I do every day, but that's not really the case, right? For the general public. So I appreciate you sharing that because, you know, a lot of times when you think about therapy, people are like, oh, I'm just going to sit on the couch and someone's going to be, you know, on the other side of the room, writing down notes in a pad, on a pad. Uh, So that's helpful to know. So I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you so much. Awesome. All right. So, you know, there's a, there's something else I wanted to ask you and it was, you know, so you talk about a lot about the, 
the unraveling of what happened to your husband and how he has dealt with that. And you talked about how you made adjustments to help him to be more comfortable and uh, adjust to coming back and being, you know, being able to thrive again in his, his, his skin here. Um, I am curious though, was there any fear for you surrounding a couple of things? Number one, him leaving again each time that he left and then you being on your own being left behind Did you have fear surrounding those two things <laughs> you're laughing because you're like oh my god where do i start <laughs> you know we were in a, a predicament um you know he like i said he went for three year-long deployments within five years we knew every time he got back, the clock was ticking as far as when he was going to leave again. I see. And so he really didn't reintegrate back. And I realized every time he came home, a little less of him came home. I see. And so, um, you know, that was pretty scary. Uh, you know, admittedly. The first time he left... Um, we had come off of six years of not being with troops. Okay. And he had gone to school. He taught at West Point. Uh, he taught chemistry. Then he went to another school. And so now here we are and we're back with troops. It's been six years. When we left, things were very different. We left troops um, the summer of 01, right before okay. 9-11. Oh my gosh, yes. And so right. we missed all of this. Mm -hmm. When we got back, um, we were living off post here at Fort Riley and he was what they call on a mitt team. And um, there wasn't a lot of support for the spouses. Okay. All, of, all of the members of this mitt team were from all over the country and they just came together. They trained here for a couple of weeks and then they were sent off. I lived off post. I had no support. I didn't have the support of post you know, the built-in family, if you will. Right. Um, I'm from back East. I have no family. I have no friends here. We bought a house. First time ever we bought a house and he left. Mm. I had never lived by myself. I was raised in a very staunch Irish, Italian, Catholic home. You didn't leave home unless you, you left your daddy's home when you went to your husband's home. I was never allowed to go away to school. I was never allowed to have an apartment. And so this was my first time at, you know, 35, 34, that I'm living by myself. I had two little humans with me. Right, right. I was thinking um, about that. Like, oh my gosh. I had a two-year-old and a five-year-old. and. I was on my own. Wow. And I was scared. I was scared <laughs> to death. <laughs> of course, of course. But I was just like, well, this is going to be an adventure. And if something happens to the house, I'm just going to call somebody and pay for it to get fixed. And, you know, it, that's the end of it. Wow. So you dealt with it like, okay, um, I get it. This is crazy. I'm not, I'm, this is like new territory for me, but I'm just going to put my head down and make it happen. That's how you dealt with it. There was no other choice. Right. I mean, and right. it was day to day and it was like living in the trenches. Um, yeah. You know, I had these two boys and uh, I just had to keep going. There was, there was no other option. Right, right. And so I did. Wow. Wow. I look back on it and I'm thinking, gosh, what, what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Could you call a cousin or something to come like, hey, can you move up here? <laughs> you know, I, I was very mad at the army because I felt like um, they let me down, that I should have had more of a support system in place. And, it, you know, I remember talking with my husband's therapist and, and I, I remember saying how angry I was at the army. Sure. And he said to me, you know, it's not a person. It's not an <laughs> entity. Like you can't the army like, is a person. <laughs> you, you know, you can't, 
you know, how are you mad at this thing? Right. Wow. And it's, it always makes me chuckle when I think about it. And it's like, you know, yeah, how, how do I be mad at an organization? <laughs> <laughs> but I had left troop, when we left troops, things were very, very different. Right. And I expected things to be, you know, a certain way. And when I got back to it, I was rudely awakened. Right. And um, then the second time he went, we had a new commander. It was a mess. And they, um, he said he would not support me. Okay. My husband was sent on a, uh, a mission. Yeah. I can't really talk about it. No, I understand that. Um, but I, we would still be attached to this one unit. And the commander said, I will not support your, your wife and your family while you're gone. You mean as in financial support? No, just, um, you know, uh, over, you know, how um, support, if I needed something, I could call them and say, hey, I need something, you know, whatever. There was okay. no support offered. I see. I got you. Wow. That's huge. That is huge. It was, it was a real slap in the face. And um, the... Sergeant Major, his Sergeant Major pulled me aside and very quietly said, if you ever need anything, you, you were to call my wife and I. Okay. And we've, we've got you. Okay. And I said, well, your commander, he goes, he's not my boss. Okay. Now I'm glad that someone reached out because that's, that's insane. You know, it, it was yeah. insane. I, I mean, what commander does that? Right. Yeah, it was, it was difficult. Sounds like so, it was an interesting experience there. I just know that, you know, when my husband was in command, we never said that to anybody. Thank goodness. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, I guess it was a lesson learned, you know. Right. But, I mean, what a lesson. But, you know, yes, I'm glad that that was not perpetuated because that's not so and then, good. And then by the third time he left, I was like, listen, I've already done this twice on my own. Like, right. y'all can take your, your, your support. And that's very nice of you. You can put it towards others. Cause I, I I'm good. I got gotcha. this. Veterans. I got this. You're like literally a veteran at that. <laughs> Don't call me. I'll call you if I need you. Yes. I got this. Okay. Okay. You know, by the third time I, I was so disgusted. Okay. That it was the, happening for another time. And, and I was like, really, you're going to offer to support me now? Where the hell were you the last two years? Oh, okay. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. You know, so it was just like, nah, I got this. I got this. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And then, so now tell me, you know, so... Tell me how you got involved in the yoga therapy. Like, how did that happen? Well, as I said, I, I didn't want to go to anybody else's classes. I didn't want to be on anybody else's schedule. Yeah. And <laughs> so I wanted to take a class so I could do yoga on my own and keep myself safe. Within a month of finishing that class, I had two job offers. What? And I was like, okay, I think the universe is trying to tell me something. Yes, indeed. So I embarked on this journey. I had never wanted to teach it. That was never my goal. And then I was like, well, I really enjoyed that class. Maybe I should take another class. Maybe I should take another class. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should take it. And before you and know it, you're done. <laughs> I'm halfway through and I'm saying, how did this happen? Oh and then God. it was presented that I could take these classes for PTSD. And I was like, oh, I should, you know. And then I'm sitting there and I'm halfway through that first day and I'm saying, oh boy, I see a lot of myself here. Ah, okay. I see a lot of me here. And I was like, gosh, before I even offer to help people, I better get my house in order. And um, that's what started my own personal journey. And my mat literally has saved my life. Wow. That is very powerful. Because the reason why that's even more powerful is that I never would have thought of yoga as a means for that, right? As a savior. I would never think of yoga, yoga as, 
as something that can like, you know, reach that hand out and lift you up out of the pit. Like I just never would have thought that. My mat is my greatest confidant. I can tell it anything gotcha. and it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. My yoga practice can look like whatever it needs to be on any given day at any given moment. And that could be me just curling up on it and crying. Mm-hmm. That could be me yelling. It could be me in a pose. Got it. I think we have this, um, this thought about what yoga is supposed to look like. You know, it's very stereotypical. You know, there's chanting, there's incense, you know, there's <laughs> Indian music, you know. Yes. It doesn't have to look like that. Okay. It doesn't have to be that way. And when you cut all of those restraints away, you get to have your own amazing individual experience, however that looks. And however that fills your heart, you know, your soul, however mm-hmm. you fill that well. Wow. From a scientific basis? Yeah. Because of how PTSD actually gets trapped in the body, because mm-hmm. we store it in the body. The yoga is actually, we have a scientific way of being able to unlock that. And you're okay. able to discharge that, that trapped energy. I mean, we hold, we hold trauma on a cellular level in the body. And by working our body in a certain way, and it's scientifically proven, if we do it this way, we are able to release that. And you can feel it. You can physically feel it. Wow. Mm. The wheels are turning in my mind. And the reason is because, um, so, you know, in medicine, in particular, well, I would have to say that this has now become a very ubiquitous issue, but like burnout is a big deal, right? It, it happens across, across all fields and, and, and specialties. But in medicine, what happens, particularly in the fields where we have direct contact with patients who potentially could die or die on us or have bad outcomes or whatever, um, you get you over time you do get a ptsd type absolutely right because you have these micro traumas that happen regularly so because you can go from a room where you have worked diligently and to the best of your ability to resuscitate a child and the child doesn't make it and then you are basically you're asked or you you tend to take that grief that pain that disappointment and you just like tuck it down inside and then you go to the next room and you care for the next patient as if that just didn't happen and you know over time obviously more and more of those scenarios occur and you have you built you have ptsd and you just don't realize it and it manifests itself in many different ways. And sometimes it can manifest itself as one day a very little thing happens and then you just blow up and you just walk off the job. So, or you quit or you burn out or God forbid you do something even more terminal, like kill yourself, which has happened. So, you know, when you say that yoga can be used in this fashion, when I think of yoga and, and sometimes we, as physicians get a little bit, you know, not snippy, but like uh, we f- you get a little snarky because we're snarky. like, what? are you like, are you a re- recommended that I've treat my burnout with yoga? Like, you know, we kind of like take offense to that because, because we, the reason why, and that um, kind of a little bit of, give you a little bit of backstory on this is that the reason why we feel this way when that is suggested by the C-suite, for example, is because it is a personal affront on the physician who are the, even a nurse actually, because nurses are, nurses are feeling it pretty badly too. So like, you know, if you're having, it's, if when you say that, oh, you burned out here, here's how we're going to prevent you from getting burnt out. We're going to have you do yoga, right? We're going to bring some mats into the department and on your break, you can do, if there is a break, you can do some yoga poses, right? Uh, but what that is saying is that the individual is the problem. So there's like the shaming that occurs that you are not strong enough. You are not good enough. So you are not able to get over the PTSD and keep moving, you know, so there's that blame and not the recognition that it's actually three spokes to the wheel and it's a continuum, right? 
Um, so that's why when people say, oh yeah, you know, you're, you're feeling like you're burnt out, let's go do some yoga. But what they don't do is the next phase, which is you can utilize the yoga to help you to build your resilience. But we're also working on the other facets that contribute to your burnout and not the personal asset, the personal facet. So I think that is when you said that, I was like, oh, yoga, really for PTSD? But then, you know, if you take it in context, where if we're working on that section of the wheel, which is the personal resilience section, then it sounds like this form of yoga would be an excellent item to implement, right? Because we're nobody, nobody, this you're the first person I've heard talk about yoga in this way. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. like, it, I never, I've never really seen yoga as a, a active therapeutic vehicle because people, most times, you know, you, you figure you're doing yoga and yes, you are centering yourself. You are focusing on an intention, you are, you know, moving your body and you are basically, you know, having static poses or you're, you know, you're doing these things and you're like, you know, uh, essentially like reprogramming your mind to focus on these other things and not so much on whatever else is going on with you that day. But nobody presents it as a therapy for the micro traumas that have been built building up that has led to your PTSD and that has led to your burnout or one of the factors that have led to your burnout. So I find that fascinating that you mentioned this. And so that's kind of why I wanted to, and I, when you, when you said that, I was like, Oh, that's different. All right. So you've just opened up Pandora's box. (laughs) Settle in. Let's go. If we look at yoga as a big pie, There's all different parts of the pie. So let's look first at the fitness-based yoga. And we have Ashtanga, we have Yin, we have all kinds of Bikram, all kinds of different types. You've got co-ed naked yoga, hot yoga. I mean, you've got all kinds of yoga, right? All Mm fitness-based. One of the slices of the pie is therapy. And within that slice of pie, you've um, you've got yoga for cardiac rehab. You have yoga for cancer, yoga for MS, yoga for Parkinson's, um, yoga for CP, all of these different types of things. So if you needed braces, you're not going to go to a dentist. You're going to go to a specialist. You're going to go see an orthodontist. Yeah. If you need heart surgery, are you going to go to a GP or to a cardiologist? Pretty much a cardiologist for sure. So if you have an issue that is not a can you know not within the fitness realm you need to see a specialist and and there's tons of us uh yoga for arthritis i I mean i could go on and on me i deal with ptsd from a physical standpoint we know that the body traps trauma now ptsd all of us have PTSD. You cannot live this human existence without some form of PTSD. It doesn't have to come from military. You, you said it yourself, being doctors, being for, you know, first responders. First oh, responders yeah. are, I, I can't tell you how many cops, oh, poor yes. guys are walking around, women, men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my mom has secondary PTSD because of my dad's alcoholism, because of his PTSD. So there's secondary PTSD. There's complex PTSD. There's all kinds of PTSD. Wow. You can have PTSD because you were um, in a a domestic violent type of relationship. And maybe it wasn't physical. Maybe it was all emotional and verbal. Maybe somebody didn't even lay a hand on you. Maybe you're in a car accident. Maybe you saw a mugging. These are all things. And it doesn't mean that the person is weak. There's a lot of things that contribute to a person developing PTSD. One of the things is, what was their stress level prior to the incident? Mm. How much stress have they endured over their entire lifetime prior to the incident? 
you know, was this just the one incident that, that pushed them over? So there's a lot of different things that come into effect. And the stigma that we have is because there's a lack of education. And so, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna indulge your, your listeners here for a bit. Have you ever seen two dogs fight? Yes, I have seen that. Okay, and after they're done, what do they do as they're walking away from one another? I don't think I've noticed what they do. They shake. Hmm. They shake. And that shaking helps to reset their central nervous system. So what happens is that, you know, we have two, two brains. We have the reptilian brain that handles all of the mundane homeostasis kind of stuff. You're blinking, you're belching, your hiccups. Uh, going to the bathroom, letting you know to go to the bathroom, like all of this stuff. We don't think about breathing. We don't think about any of this stuff. And so the reptilian brain, ha- you know, handles all of that. The upper echelon brain handles all of our complex thinking and, you know, decision-making. Flight, fight, and freeze is handled by the reptilian brain. Now, if you become, you know, let's say we're in a car accident right? We go directly into the reptilian brain. It takes over because it wants to protect us. Right. In order to reset the central nervous system to get back to the upper echelon brain, we have to shake. What happens if we don't shake? Welcome PTSD. Wow. That's how simple it is. We can utilize the yoga to mimic that shaking. It's actually held in a certain group of muscles in our body. And we work in in the type of yoga that I do. We work that group of muscles to exhaustion so we can get it to shake. So we can help reset your central nervous system. So we can help you get out of the reptilian brain that you're trapped in and back up to the upper echelon brain. Wow. Wow. That's how it's done. Thank you for sharing that. O M G. But see, this is the stigma. People do. They think, oh, you, you've got PTSD. You're weak. No, we just got to reset a button. That's all it is. We just got to reset a button. Wow. No, that's, that's like, uh, that's gold right there. That is gold. Wow. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. That is awesome. You know, I knew there was a reason why we had to have this conversation. I feel like that right there was the reason. Like we needed to come to that, that point being shared because it is definitely like, I never thought about it like that. And I know that I'm not alone in that, you know, so thank you for sharing that. I, I hope that it, you know, everybody gets something from it because that's truly what it's all about. It's that simple. And by utilizing yoga, the way that we're able to, we can help you drop that baggage. Mm. We can help you get that shaking done. We can help you reset that button. Now, Is that the cure-all? No. You should use it in combination with talk therapy, meds if you're needed, and and anything else that helps to fill your well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, this is just not a a one-size, you know, fits-all kind of a thing. Are there people who tell me, oh my gosh, I I feel this shaking? Other times people don't, but they tell me, I feel lighter. Mm-hmm. Perfect. That's all I want to hear. Yeah. You feel absolutely. lighter. You absolutely. drop some baggage that mm-hmm. you don't need to be carrying. Right. But the constant stress that we are under in our everyday lives, we need to drop the baggage somehow. And yoga can help you do that. Awesome. 
I am definitely not looking at yoga the same anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, what? Okay, wait. (laughs) No, that is, that is awesome. Awesome. And I hate to burst everybody's bubble, but it's all science. Like there is no new age, woo woo kind of a stuff here going on. Right. It's all science. And when I got into it and I started really learning the science behind it, yeah. and I, I, my husband is an organic chemist, so I would come home and I'd tell him this stuff. Yeah. It, he, it blew his mind because it's all science. Yeah, yeah. There's no witchcraft. There's no voodoo. It's, <laughs> it's legit. And it's uh, really helped, you know, we need to get more of the medical community to understand it and to see it. And to utilize it for them and their patients. Oh yeah, yeah. I feel like uh, you know. So there, there is a a movement uh, within medicine, and I think it might be partially an answer to um, the fact that you know burnout is is ravaging our our, our ranks, um, and and that is the movement to go towards a more holistic approach to things, right? So. Uh, integrative medicine, where they do consider these things, like they consider integrating, um, you know, therapies and modalities that are going to treat the whole person, which, you know, notoriously in medicine, we don't usually do. We like say, in the West. Oh, in, yes, the West. in the West, in the West, it's true. Like we typically are like, oh, okay, you have diabetes, all right, here, start taking insulin, you know, <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah, so we're we're coming along. We'll come along. It'll take it'll take some time and continue education. So be patient with us. <laughs> I figure within twenty to fifty years we might we we might be somewhere where we need to be. But it is it's incredibly frustrating because here in the West, you know, medical establishment really looks at compartmentalizing the body, mm-hmm. and PTSD is a full body disorder. I mean, it establishes itself within the body first, and then it manifests as a mental health issue. And so you have to treat the entire body, not just the physical symptoms. And so it's hard. It is hard. But I appreciate you um, sharing the knowledge about it and sharing about it, because I think, to be honest with you, like, the more people hear about it, the more patients hear about that, the more physicians hear about that. It's the more rapid the idea and the concept will be accepted and spread. So, you know, no, every, every single time we talk about it is appreciated because it's, it's, it's only going to lead to that adoption, hopefully faster than 50 years. <laughs> Hopefully, um, you know, bottom line is it works. Um, I would say that if you want to try it, that's great. Don't, don't just walk down to your corner yoga studio, do a little research. Um, make sure you get someone who is knowledgeable in this field. And if you don't like your, your yoga instructor, keep trying different ones. Because I really think that your yoga teacher makes or breaks the experience. And so if you're not comfortable in a class, and, and give it a couple of times. I think by like five classes, you know whether you like somebody or not. And at that point, you know, keep looking if, you don't, if you're not happy. Because you really deserve the peace that you can find on a mat. Nice. Love that. Oh my God. You know what? We have been chatting and chatting. <laughs> we have been. We went over your timeline. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, it's all good. It's all good. Good stuff. Oh my. Yes. No. Maybe we have to have you back on again another time. Um, so we are unfortunately at that part of the show where we have to do our, our wrap up. Are you ready for the fill in the blank? I'm ready. Let's all do right. It. Awesome. Because this has been such a good conversation. <laughs> um, okay. All right. So the first one is, if I am fearless, I will. If I am fearless, I, I don't know if I'm ever fearless. That's the question. I don't know if I'm ever fearless. 
Okay. All right. I mean, I think, I think everybody's afraid of something. I don't think I'm ever fearless. Okay. And that's okay. That is okay. That is very okay. All right. And then to me, fearless freedom means. Fearless freedom. Um, I don't know if it's fearless. I think it's, it's fearful freedom. It's being afraid and doing it anyway. Awesome. Being able to say, okay, yeah, I am afraid of this, but I got to do this and I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to do it well. That's right. Like a boss. <laughs> like a boss. And then last but not least, my battle cry is. Giving up is not an option. Love it. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day and coming on the show. It was a great conversation and we touched on so many different things, but it's definitely well worth it. And so I appreciate you and thanks again for coming on. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for joining us today on this journey. Fear is all around us. It strives to stop us from achieving our greatness. We have the tools to be overcomers by sharing our stories, supporting each other and doing self-reflection. We can do this. If you found value in this conversation today, please be sure to subscribe to and share this podcast with your friends. By going to your favorite podcast platform, leaving a review and a five-star rating, you will help to get the word out about it. And that is much appreciated. Thanks again for spending time with us. I appreciate your time and your attention. It is my hope that you will punch fear in the face today and that you will be strong, be brave, and unleash your greatness.